This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as... All the people at home are joining with us, largest part of our congregation. Two-thirds are at home uh, watching online, and our campus over in Stevens Point also joining with us, and the people all over the world who join us as well online. Good morning to all of you. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you again with us this morning. Uh, before we get into our message, we want to pause to take our offering, which is done largely virtually today, online. Those of you who are watching online uh, can join with us as well. Those of us at our website, celebrationchurch.tv. There's a give button that you can click there. And uh, the rest of you, uh, many of you do uh, recurrent giving, which is the best thing for the church, quite frankly. It just always lets us know how much money's coming in and we can plan accordingly. Many of you have done that. So if you see someone sitting next to you who's not doing anything, don't think anything evil. <laughs> they probably already signed up uh, for recurring giving. The rest of you can use your phone and text in. So all of you can play with your phones right now if you like. Uh, and text to this number. You're going to send a message to this number, 77977. That's the number you're going to send the message to, 77977. And then in the message area, put CCWI, which stands for Celebration Church Wisconsin. And all of you online, particularly around the states, a lot of people, I run into them all the time, who consider this their church. Well, you need to give to your church, even if you're in Ohio or Florida or wherever you're at. So CCWI and then the dollar amount. And that's how you can give online. And thank you for your continued support. Uh, the strongest testimony of what a wonderful congregation we have is uh, that throughout this uh, pandemic and all the stuff going on, our finances have stayed strong. Actually, I don't know what the number is. We're like, 50,000 ahead of where we were last year at this time. So praise the Lord. And don't think, oh good, I don't have to give now. No, 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 because then we're back in a hole. So everybody continue to do as the church grows and all these wonderful things are happening. Um, we are beginning now children's ministries here at Celebration Church. 
<laughs> now the mom said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, September 13th, this is the Sunday after Labor Day. That's when it's going to kick up here at Celebration Church. Now, this is not is going to be a low-touch service, not a no-touch service, okay? You can't get children to not touch each other or stuff. It's just not going to happen. But we're not going to take like one ball and everybody slobber over it and that kind of thing, kick things around. So we're going to do uh, smart things and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, they'll be fine. Uh, of all the people on this planet, children are the most immune to all of this. Um, uh, and, you know, I was looking at statistics this morning. Uh, in the last 12 months, uh, 4,000 children have died just in car wrecks. 1,800 from cancer, 350 from drowning. The numbers go on and on, 13 from COVID. You say, well, that's just COVID. It's only been the last several months. Well, if you just take the last several months... 1,800 children have died, 300, or 13 have died from COVID. It's just uh, the single greatest risk. And some of you, I know you're not going to like this. And no, I'm just, just relax, okay? Today, people, if you hear something you don't like, people go psychotic. They just do. That's that whole cancel culture. Knock him out! Kill him! Drag him away! Or whatever the deal is. Ban him on Facebook or whatever the overreaction is. I'm just telling you the facts. Whether you agree with my conclusions is up to you. And again, the vast majority of our congregation still does not gather. They are still at home. And we encourage everybody to do what you're comfortable with. Have we not? Have I slammed anybody for doing this stuff? I have not. Now, we're open and the people who want to come can come. Uh, whatever you feel comfortable with. I am among those who am absolutely convinced that history is going to record this as the greatest overreaction in the history of mankind. You say, well, they might bring it home to grandma. Well, if you have a very sick grandma, you probably should keep her away from all of them in the first place. They have all kinds of cruddy little germs they run around with. So you can think these things through. And the reality is you look at all the statistics in any age group. None of it supports this. The most dangerous thing that any of you can do, if you get in a car, that's the greatest risk in your life right now. I mean, 40,000 people a year get killed plus in the United States. So, do you know, what's the number? Uh, 1,600 people get killed every year just by standing on the side of the road. That cars hit them. You're going for a walk, getting your fresh air, getting away from COVID, and you get run over by some idiot who's not paying attention. It's like 15 people a day. Today, 15 people in America will be hit by a car just standing by the side of the road and killed. That's not counting wounded, broken, therapy. All, we're talking dead. We live in a dangerous world. Now, you want to do things as most intelligently as you can. I probably would not go strolling on Highway 41. All right? Just saying. High chance of damage there. But we live in a, you know, this is why we pray, right? We ask for God's protection. If you're not routinely praying over your family, your children, your loved ones, and yourself, you're making a big mistake. You say, well, I prayed and something still bad happened. Well, someday we'll get a, oh, that's why, when we get to heaven. But by and large, God answers prayers. <sighs> oh, I hate to say this, Mark, you're just going to regret it. 
Because something could change tomorrow. I was like, remember when this thing started? We were all terrified. We didn't know what we were dealing with. For all we knew, it was the plague of death. And even after a couple of weeks of the plague of death, we had people come forward and we anointed you in the name of the Lord Jesus for healing grace. Okay? Do you remember this? Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people filled this place as we anointed them. For all I knew, I was killing someone doing that or one of them were going to kill me. But I thought, you know, that's what the Bible teaches. At the end of the day, we got to follow the scriptures. So we pray for it. And as far as I know, no one that's connected with this church and that service has gotten sick from COVID. Thank God for that. I could die tomorrow, and then everything I just said makes no sense. But I'm just saying... We believe God protects us, and we pray, and we do all these things. Having said that, for the vast majority of you at home, God bless you. And it's fine. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just saying, when this all ends, all that to say, your children will be fine. All right? This is the lowest risk of little scoundrels on the face of the earth, according to this pandemic. So, unless now they've got some serious underlying health issues, and that's true with everybody, don't bring them. But if they're healthy, everybody's healthy, everybody's good, bring them. They'll be fine. Uh, and then you can worship. I know some of the people are staying home, uh, not because of the pandemic, but because they don't have anything for their kids. And they don't want their kids going crazy <laughs> in the service. Which, by the way, if you have a kid that goes crazy in the service, just take them out in the back. It'll be fine. They can scream out there very happily. And, uh, and quite frankly, it doesn't really bother me that much. It just doesn't. To me, it's the signs of life. Loud life. But uh, I will say one thing. Boy, I'm just rolling here this morning. <laughs> we were at this marina the other day. Did you, see, did you hear that little girl in the pool? Mommy, 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 mommy. I wanted to jump in and drown the little girl, which is a bad thought. I didn't do it. But the thought flashed through my mind. Teach your children not to repeat mommy, mommy, mommy 50 million times in a row. Or answer the child. Uh, all right. Moving right along. Uh, so, September 13th opens it up for the kids. Um, Genesis. The 45th chapter today I want to read to you, starting at verse 1, beginning of the chapter, to verse 50. And those of you who are new to the Bible, we always have new people coming to the Bible, they don't know what it means when we throw these numbers out. Uh, the Bible is actually, it's not one book. It's a collection of writings. It's, what is it, 66 what books in the Bible over thousands of years that mesh together in an incredible way. People separated by centuries, agreeing and thinking and tying all of this faith together. And there, and there, there are these books, if you will, within the book. Uh, they weren't written in verses and chapters. We added that later so you could find where we're talking about. Instead of just giving you a scroll. <laughs> here, look for it in here. Uh, so that's when you hear chapters and verses. We're just showing you where in this particular book, this writing, is found. This is in Genesis, the first book that you'll find in the Bible means the beginnings, talking about where everything came from. The 45th chapter, starting at verse 1, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried 
out. Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him. And Joseph made himself known to his brothers. I'm going to explain what all this is in a minute if this is not familiar to you. He starts crying. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. He's just wailing and crying. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? He hasn't seen them for going on 16, 20 years, whatever it is. Um, and Joseph said to his brothers, uh, I am Joseph, my father's alive. But his brothers could not answer him. They were dismayed. But, uh, so dismayed were they at his presence. They didn't know what was going on. Then Joseph said to his because they didn't recognize him. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close, closer to me. And they came closer. He says, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Again, I'll give you the backstory in just a minute. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a, mom, a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh, I'll explain again in a minute, and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go get my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord over all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there since there are more five more years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes uh, and uh, now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. In other words, this is me. Now you must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck. Now Benjamin was his uh, brother. They're, they're all half-brothers pretty much. These are the 12 sons of uh, Jacob whose name became Israel. And they had tribes after them. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. Most of these 12 boys came from four different women is the story. Uh, so they were mostly uh, all uh, half-brothers. But Benjamin was from the same mom as he was. So he falls on Benjamin's neck uh, and, and cried. And Benjamin cried on his neck. And then he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Okay, let's back up and take a look at what we're talking about here. Uh, this is the story of Joseph. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. You guys remember Cliff Notes? <laughs> they still have that? I think they still do, don't they? Yeah. It was big when I was in school. <laughs> <laughs> the only way you could cheat and know what the teacher was talking about is, you know, I give you a big book to read is get the Cliff Notes version. That was that big. And they give you all the highlights, you know, and you could pretend you were intelligent. Uh, but uh, so uh, Jacob, God names him to Israel. He falls in love with Rachel. Remember, it was two daughters, Rachel and Leah. And Leah wasn't as pretty as Rachel. So he's so taken by Rachel, he agrees to work for her dad, Laban, for seven years, I'll give you seven years of hard labor to get the girl. Okay, we talked about this a few weeks ago. So, at the end of seven years, on their wedding night, Pop swaps out the daughters and gives him Leah, the less attractive girl. Joseph doesn't find out until the next day. You say, how is that possible? 
Because they didn't really date. They didn't spend time with each other. It's dark. Who knows? Maybe he was a little, you know, who knows? Anyway. So then he said, hey, what's going on? And dad said, well, you know, this is our custom. <laughs> Which he didn't share with him earlier. So a week later, he said, well, just be nice to her for a week. And a week later, you can have the other girl. But then you got to work another seven years. So he winds up working 14 years for this woman. All right? Um, and so... He has the two wives now, and then begins what I call the baby wars. They're trying to have children, particularly sons. They had daughters as well, but it's, I think all but one were recorded. It's just very patriarchal. And so all the sons are the big deal, and they have these 12 sons. Leah, the less attractive da uh, daughter, sister, is, is uh, having more babies than Rachel. Rachel's not having any babies. And, uh, and it's really sad when you read it, because Leah keeps thinking... You know, I'll keep having these babies, and, and then maybe then my, my husband will love me. She knew he, he didn't love her, and it was sad. So she keeps popping them out. But, uh, you know, and Rachel gets freaking out because she's not having any babies. So she gives her maidservant to Jacob and says, get her pregnant, and then I'll have, because then the babies still belong to the daughter. So he's doing that. Then Leah says, well, have mine too. So she's doubling up, and uh, finally... After all this, uh, Rachel gets pregnant, which is fascinating. Uh, actually, it's really interesting. I don't know how many times you've heard of this, of people who get, can't get pregnant, and then they'll adopt, and then she gets pregnant. <laughs> you know, maybe it's a stress thing. You know, they're stressing, wanting something so bad that you can't get it, that kind of thing. I don't know. All of a sudden, now she gets pregnant and gives birth to Joseph. This is the Joseph we're talking about in the story. So this is uh, Jacob, Israel, whatever you want to call him, is his love of his life is Rachel. She finally has Joseph. She gets pregnant one more time and gives birth to Benjamin, the guy that he was crying over because this is his, you know, same mom, brother. And, uh, but she dies giving birth to Benjamin, and then that's the end of Rachel. Well, Joseph now becomes... Um, Jacob's favorite. He's the favorite son. And if you read the whole story, you'll remember the story about the multicolored coat. Dad, you know, which was a big deal in that culture. You get a fancy coat, you know, and dad gave it to Joseph and, you know, was fawning over Joseph all the time, which irritated the snot out of the other brothers, as you can well imagine. All right? Uh, if, if you have a kid who's a favorite, don't tell anybody. But anyway... Uh, you know, this is what happened. He really favored one more than the others. They didn't like him. And then Joseph, as a young teenager, starts having these dramatic dreams. And this isn't like a pizza dream or, you know, I woke up and, you know, I, th I thought I was awake and your head was the head of an alien and I stabbed you and then I realized I was just punching you in your sleep. You know, what are that? None of that kind of stuff. These are dramatic dreams, God inspired dreams that are technicolor. Wow. And he would wake up and he would share. Man, I had this amazing dream. And the dreams were basically this. He kept seeing, in one form or another, all of his brothers coming down and bowing before him. You know, hullaba, hullaba, hullaba. Now, you don't think they liked him before. When he starts having these dreams, they are incensed. You little arrogant snot! You think we're all going to bow down before you someday? And he's like, I don't know, man, I'm just telling you the dream, you know. So they set out to kill him, which is pretty intense. Well, at the last minute, instead of saying, ah, let's not kill him, we can make more money if we sell him. It was an economic decision. 
So they sell him off as a slave. So he's a slave uh, for 11 years. And we talked about this story recently. This is when the guy he's working for, his wife got the hots for Joseph. And it was hitting on him, and he kept trying to run away from her. She got mad and claimed that he raped her because she just got really irritated that he kept saying no to her. So he gets arrested and thrown into prison for attempted rape. And by the way, you know, we hear a lot of this, we've heard a lot of this in recent years, right? That all women should be believed. No, they should not. All women should be heard. All women should be able to have their case and not be dismissed. And even as we've seen in recent years, some people, it was totally legit. The whole Cosby thing. You know, and others, you find out later, they made the whole stinking thing up. So to say that all women should be believed no matter what is a bit of an overreach, to say the least. This kind of stuff's been going on a long time. It was like 5,000 years ago, whatever the clock here is ticking away. And uh, so she accuses him of rape. Of course, he didn't do anything to her. That's why she accuses him of rape. He gets thrown in a prison. Now, this is not Brown County lockup. All right? This isn't, this isn't Stevens Point Jail. This is prison 5,000 years ago. You can imagine how barbaric and horrid this is. So after 11 years of being a slave, he's now thrust for uh, two to three years, whatever the time, in this prison cell. Now, Joseph had this ability to, not only did he have dreams, it's like he could understand other people's dreams. So the king, Pharaoh, has this dream, and he's going all psychotic. He can't figure out what's going on. Nobody can interpret it. Someone says, you know what? You know, this guy interpreted a dream for me when I was in prison. And I said, well, go get him. So they go get him in the morning. They got to clean him up. You can imagine what he looked and smelled like after two, three years in that dungeon. They clean him up, bring him before the king, and Joseph interprets his dream for him. Uh, a couple of dreams. And what the dream is basically this. There's going to be seven years of famine. I'm sorry, seven years of great prosperity followed by seven years of famine. And then Joseph says, you know, really if you're smart, you should work out a system where you take all the extra grain and stuff during the plenty, and then you'll have it to carry you through the famine. The king is so impressed. He makes Joseph is number one. In other words, Joseph becomes the second most powerful and wealthy man in the world at that time. He goes, he woke up that morning in the squalor, the smell, the pain, the disgust of a prison of that day. And by the end of that day, he's the second most powerful and wealthy man in the world. What a story. You say, well, my situation is horrible. Yeah, but I'm telling you, God, he can turn it around in a day. Now, I don't know what struggle you're going through or how quickly it'll turn around. I'm just saying, when it looks totally hopeless, God is still not freaking out. He knows how to, how to turn things around. So anyway, eventually, all this comes true. They store up all this grain. And uh, um, the... Uh, uh, people from all over the world now are coming to Egypt because it's the only place that has food. And um, Pharaoh's making out like a bandit <laughs> selling all this extra grain, not only to this people, but even to his own people. Uh, there's a deacon that serves uh, under 
Bishop Sean, some of you will remember Bishop Sean came and did our uh, Ash Wednesday service uh, earlier this year. And anyway, the deacon's name is Jared McConnell. <laughs> he was putting it all in the context of what we're dealing with today. He says, think about it. Pharaoh raises people's taxes on the basis of an impending disaster and health emergency, convincing people that it would enable the government to take care of them. Then he charged them for their grain that he stored up. Then when they had no more money, he confiscated their property as payment. Then when they had nothing left, they pledged their lives and that of their children in service to Pharaoh forever as long as he fed them. With this newfound power, Pharaoh eventually turns an entire group of people, the Jews, into slaves. And they were forced into slavery for 450 years until Moses came along and God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. All from a health emergency. <laughs> and uh, he's saying, you know, be careful when the government promises to take care of you because they'll always want something in return. Be careful about surrendering freedoms and people are starting to kick back against some of this stuff. It's just, the, I'm surprised it's taken this long, quite frankly. But uh, if it doesn't stop, it's going to get more intense. Um, you need to be careful about these sorts of things. Anyway, so Joseph's dream comes true. Uh, after the seven years of prosperity, of, of uh, prosperity and now seven years into the famine, his brothers who are desperate for food come to Egypt. They fall down before this powerful man who's he's in charge of everything. The Bible says there was not one thing that Joseph was not in charge of in Egypt. Who knows what the Pharaoh did? Sitting around watching I Love Lucy reruns. I have no idea. But he just he's had so much confidence in Joseph. Joseph is this major power wheeler. And they come down and they bow down before this man asking for food, which is the fulfillment of the dreams. Now it all makes sense. And that's where we read that he gets his brothers. He tells everybody to leave because he recognizes his brothers. And he just starts bawling and weeping. And he has the conversation where he says to them, uh, Hey, it's me. I'm alive. The, the analogy between this and Jesus is really kind of fascinating. They thought he was dead, but now he's alive. And instead of killing them all in revenge, he forgives them all, uh, which is amazing. He says to them, we read it, uh, don't feel bad about what you've done. Really? <laughs> I'd be a little ticked off <laughs> personally. You tried to kill me, you jerks, and then you saw me. And this crazy woman came after me with the hots and I wound up in prison. How do you not be mad about that? But he wasn't. That's one of the reasons I can God bless him. Listen, you want to guard your heart. And it's hard because we're surrounded by really mean, nasty people. Not necessarily next to you right now, but in your life. <laughs> Maybe right next to you, I don't know. And people do mean things and you want to get mad and you want to break their necks. And you got to be careful. I was quoting to Deanna this morning, that scripture, a merry heart does good like a medicine. I said, that's just the first part of that. Then it says, but uh, bitter, bitter spirits, uh, an attitude dries up the bones. It'll make you sick 
physically sick, you get mad and you're hating people and always bitter and remembering every little thing somebody did to you. And if I ever get a chance, I'm going to knock their head off. Don't go there. Don't go there. So, well, they did horrible things. They did horrible things to Joseph. But look how blessed he is. See, that's the thing. When you do that stuff, it limits God's blessings in your life. Right? We all need God blessings. At least I do. <laughs> I don't know what you guys. We all need God and help and his favor in our lives. Don't intentionally disobey God because this will keep the limits of what God bless you. So anyway, and then Joseph goes into this whole thing. It wasn't you who sent me here. It was God. Now, that's really what I want to talk about, and I've got three minutes left. <laughs> but it's a pretty simple message. Now, the thing, and I'm sure I'll go over. <laughs> I'm in charge. So, um, he says God sent me here. Now, you have to understand, Joseph was no theologian. All right? And you got to be careful when you read some of these Old Testament. These guys, at this time, knew little to nothing about God. They didn't even have the Ten Commandments yet. They had nothing. They knew there was this God who would reveal himself at times to them and speak to them, but they didn't know anything. So when you read, you know, so-and-so did this, so thought the Lord told them that, you know, this is all, they're guessing. Everything was God to these people. If a fly landed on them, they said the Lord sent a fly to land on him. Well, did the, I don't know, hard to tell. Everything they said was God, one way or the other. So he says that God uh, said that it was God that did this. No, God, I don't think God inspired his brothers to want to kill him. I don't think God inspired them and said to sell him. I don't think God inspired Potiphar's wife to get the huts for him and to lie and have him thrown into jail. I don't think God did any of that. I say, well, well, then what makes sense? Here's what makes sense. God's plans for you are set. And nothing that the devil can throw at you are, is going to change those plans. There might have been a hundred different versions of what would have happened in Joseph's life at that time. And every single time, God would have adjusted it to bring him back to, he would have wound up in charge of Egypt at that time, regardless of what would have happened to him. That's how big God's plan is for you. It's not determined on every little thing. We read in uh, Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that everything that happens to you is from God. It's not. Sometimes that nasty stuff is just your mother-in-law. Sometimes, you know, you know, the fact that you wound up in the hospital, some idiot wasn't paying attention, ran over you while you're walking on your way home. You know, I mean, it's crazy stuff happens. Icky stuff happens. But God's play, he takes it all and he turns it. And his ultimate goal for you is going to be his plan, which if you will not get bitter and angry in your heart, God will fulfill in your life. Don't freak out and get free. Yes. Don't freak out when things happen to you that you didn't see coming. We all have stuff that's coming. It's like... I was trying to think of another analogy. It's like trying to play chess against a supercomputer. Your chances of winning the game against a supercomputer is virtually zero. There's been, what, one or two people who have done it, you know, and who knows that they didn't luck out. <laughs> but there's a couple of guys, brilliant guys, who've done it. But, uh, you know, it's in. The minute you start that game, guess what? You're going to lose. Now, Whatever move you make, 
is your move. But at the end, it's in stone. You're going to lose. You see what I'm saying? God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. So, well, Pastor, you know, but this happened, and, and that guy did this to me, and, and I divorced my wife, and, and you know, I you know, had an alcohol problem for a while, and so God can't fulfill his dream. Listen to me. God can still do what God has planned for you if you'll just let him. None of that stuff will stop his hand in your life. Even if you do stupid stuff, even if somebody tries to kill you, even if somebody, your brothers sell you off as a slave, or some psychotic woman has the hots for you, whatever the deal is, God's plan for you is big, and it's wonderful, and you can trust him. But a lot of times, we pull back because of our own failures. We pull back because something happened. You know, I was going to do such and such, but I couldn't because this happened, or, you know, uh, I was going to do this great thing for God, but my business failed because the country locked down because of COVID or something. You know, people are dealing with all kinds of crazy stuff. And this is affecting all kinds of people in ways a lot of people hadn't even anticipated. But I'm telling you, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. When did this whole nonsense start? March? Yeah. You know how many events I've done? The majority of my income comes from that. You know what's going to happen for the rest of the year? Am I freaking out and saying God's plan for me is over? No. No. Was it God do this? No, I'm sure this is all from the devil. <laughs> is this going to stop God's plan for Marky? Absolutely not. Because God's plan is bigger than all of that. I'm just preaching to myself. <laughs> Remember we talked last week about Jesus walked on the waters, the dark, murky waters. And we talked how that was a sign of the unknown. That, you know, back in those days, those guys, they didn't know what was in the water. We know today because we are able to watch these great documentaries of underwater life. Or as Deanna pointed out, Seinfeld. <laughs> she wasn't paying attention. I could tell the minute she looked at one. TV show? Seinfeld? <laughs> oh, we laughed all week. It's hilarious. You can't see what's in the murky waters. I can't. Are you filled with fear? No. Are you a little irritated? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not liking any of this because I think it's, my personal opinion, I think it's ridiculous. A lot of it's just absolutely insane. But I can't control that. We'll roll with it. You know? Whatever. Whatever comes our way, we'll roll with it. We'll figure it out. We'll just press through. But I know one thing. God's plan for my life and your life is will be fulfilled if you will just continue to trust him. And don't think your mistakes or somebody else's idiotic moves is going to keep God's plan away from you. And let me close with this thought. Yes. One of the things that comes from charismatic theology, and we, you know, talk about liturgical theology and evangelical and charismatic theology, we kind of mix them all here, hopefully taking the best of all three and ignoring some of the crazy, and there's crazy in all three. But one of the weaknesses in charismatic theology about the will of God is they'll teach, those of you who raised as charismatics know, you have to seek the Lord, you have to beg and cry, and, you know, and they find all these Old Testament 
obscure scriptures about waiting for the Lord and crying out to, to discover his will, to discover his will, to discover his will, and you need to pray and fast and such. The New Testament never talks like that. All right? Jesus gave this analogy about being parents. How you take care of your parents, your kids, right? You're clear with your kids. He said, if you being evil know how to be good to your kids, how much more is your father in heaven? So you parents, if you want your kids to clean your, their bedroom, do you come and make it clear to them what you want or do you wait for them to seek your face? For them to come and oh, mother, wouldst thou please incite me as thou, what thou willest for me to do today? Well, first of all, they're not going to do that. <laughs> they don't really care what you want. You're clear. Using Jesus' words, if we being evil know how to make clear, if, if you have employees at work, don't you tell them what you want them to do? You don't sit, wait for them to come into your office and seek your face. What about those Old Testament? It's Old Testament stuff. I don't know. Having that stuff is a big blur to me. We've got the New Testament. We have the Holy Spirit. God wants, God is not hiding his will from you. He, and by the way, most of his will is just you becoming the kind of person he wants you to be. Whether you work at Walmart or Costco, I don't think he really cares. And we're so careful. I got to make the right decision because if I make this decision, it'll affect God's will. No! Even if the people in Costco arrest you and sell you to Walmart, you're going to be fine. <laughs> I'm not making any sense now at all. But anyway, it's all good. God's got this, okay? God has you. What we need to focus is to learn to trust him and to keep icky stuff out of our lives that will limit his blessings in our lives. He's got this. So what's going to happen next? I don't know. Every day seems like a new chapter. Who knows? It's been crazy so far, 2020. Can't wait to see what the fall brings. Whee! This, this, this is one year that we're all going to wish had never happened. But you know what? No matter how crazy this year gets, and I pray it's just this year. No matter how crazy, it's not going to affect God's plan in your life. I don't care if you lose your job because of COVID. God's not done with you. If somebody does something to you, God's not done with you. If you do something stupid, a horrible thing that you regret, terrible, I'm telling you, God's not done with you. Hang in there. Amen? Amen. All right. All right, I went long, but what are you going to do? Can't fire me. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap this up with our communion service. So I'm going to let our Stevens Point campus release them now as they go into your time of communion. We'll see you guys next Sunday. And for the rest of you, online and here at home, we're getting ready to serve uh, communion and uh, partake of this wonderful gift that God gives us, this sacrament, this blessing, as we remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. But before we do that, the Bible says, when you do this, you should examine your heart. And we always pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Why? Because a lot of us, if not all of us, some point last week, said something we shouldn't have said, done something we shouldn't have done, thought something we should or refused to do the things we should have, you know? And you don't want to limit God's blessings in your life. Say, well, how do you fix it? I made a big mistake this week. How, how do you fix it? 
It's called grace. You come to the cross. You ask him to forgive you. And uh, so we're going to pray a prayer right now for you. Let's all bow our heads together as I pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, and in obedience to your word, we, we pause to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you this week in any way, something we did, something that we should have did, we didn't do, something we said, something we left undone. As we search our hearts, Lord, you know. And, and, and if you can think of something specific, just tell God, just confess it to him. Say, Lord, forgive me for that. Lord, we ask you, for the sake of your son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, which is what we celebrate now, we ask you to have mercy on us. Forgive us of all our sins. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life, that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And as your heads are still bowed in an attitude of prayer, maybe you're listening to me this morning online, at home, around the world. I don't know where everybody's at, the people here in the room. And, uh, and you say, you know, I've never really done this. I've never really asked God into my life. Why don't you do that now? Just in your own words, ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. So mine go way back more than a week. It doesn't matter. Your whole life, all the sins you've ever committed, just ask him to forgive you. Come into your life. You can start your journey of faith this morning as we celebrate our time of communion. Amen.